So, our sermon today is going to be framed, that'll be a good way to say it, is going to be framed by 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 13. We're actually going to be focusing more on an application of that, and that application is missions. But if you'd please rise out of honor of God's word, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13, that's found on page 1219 in your Black Pew Bible. So this will be less exegetical and more application-focused. I suppose in a good exegetical sermon you have application too, but... 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Let us pray. Father, as we consider this and consider our roles in the body and our place in the body and how you have made us all parts of your body, we thank you for this privilege we have to be your body and for the roles that you've given us and the places that you've put us. Lord, we pray now that as we think about these things in light of missions, that you would guide this discussion for the sake of your name and for the glory of your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I asked um, people to share today. And I asked Mark and Julie Eufer, and I asked Lindy and Vicki Ewell, and I asked Rod Winter to share. And that's because I knew that they had done missions, and I was going to talk to Kirsten about sharing, but as we talked about it, most of her remembrance of Ecuador was fear that we were going to lose Anton, because <laughs> we had just become pregnant with Anton at that point. And so she was in a lot of anxiety about that, because, you know, what's going to happen here, and all of that fun stuff. But thankfully, nothing happened to Anton that was untoward. Maybe that's why he, where he got the giantish blood in him. But... Uh, but with that, we're gonna, as we start today, um, I'm actually going to start by calling up the goers. The, so in missions, we talk about the different aspects of missions because we have the goers. Those are the people that go. You know, <laughs> I know, it's really a deep thought. They're the ones that go. They're the ones that leave where they are and go to someplace new. And that can either be short-term or long-term. And then we have the receivers, those who are receiving the, the missionaries. Those are the ones being um, missioned to or served in, the, in wherever they are, whether that be the Hopi Indians or whether that be people in Bangladesh or in Pakistan or in India or you name it. They're the ones receiving the, the blessings that the missionaries bring. Then you have the senders, and that's the congregations. That's, that's our job. If I'm not called to go, I'm called to send. And to, to help provide. And the goers affect the senders. And the receivers affect the senders. And we're all part and parcel in this. And then you also have the mentors. And those are the long-term missionaries that are out there. The ones that are helping to guide this. And to lead it. So that when the short-termers go. That they are of the greatest benefit to the receivers. So that's our definitions. Does that make sense? Any questions on those words? Because it, they become important. Because missions 
isn't just about, uh, boy, I want to call her Agatha, but what was her name? Agonitha. I've never heard that before. You know, it's not just about Agonitha being this isolated individual that then goes off to the Hopi, to the Hopi Indians and then just comes back. It's that she's part of a greater body and how does that affect? So with that, I'm going to start out, so this is the order, just so you guys know. I'm going to start out with Rod, and then Mark and Julie, and then Lindy and Vicky. all right? So Rod, would you be willing to come up and share? I asked them to share how their mission trip affected them. Uh, missionaries, they automatically think of dedicated individuals who are spreading God's word in remote areas in the world. You know, like in New Guinea or India or in nations in Africa or South America. Maybe where many inhabitants are very poor, starving, and maybe even are Ill illiterate. Well, some missionaries do spread the gospel in places like that. However, my image of missionaries changed a little bit after going on a mission trip to Guayaquil and Cuenca, Ecuador. They are huge modern cities, just like in the USA, Many citizens there are doing just fine economically, but there are also many residents who are very poor. Many of the people in these large cities um, have no uh, knowledge of the Bible. <clears throat> Missionaries are helping there to spread God's word and also helping struggling churches improve their uh, outreach and helping with their church facilities. They're also helping the disadvantaged through donations from their supporters. I now have a greater interest in helping support missionaries and Christian organizations that are giving spiritual and physical aid to the needy in our world. Well, for me, I think um, the effect of our trip started when Justo and Trisha, the missionaries that were in Ecuador that we went over to, came here to Hosanna. And um, we volunteered to let them stay at our house and, and formed a, a, quite a bond with them. And um, I, Trisha was pregnant at the time. And I was a fairly new grandma, and I could not understand how anyone could leave their home and go across the ocean and be in a place that maybe wasn't safe all the time and raise their, their family. And so that just um, really had an effect on me. So when we started talking about the mission trip, um, I thought, well, maybe I can go out of my comfort, my little safe Christian comfort zone and do this, even though I felt like I didn't have a lot to offer. Um, and uh, as Rod said, we, the first, we landed in a huge city. Um, I think it's over two million people. And we traveled and we stayed overnight in a, I, this, I would call it a very, very poverty-stricken area. We were in a, I don't know if it was a mission building, but it had a cement um, walls around it. And on top of the fence, barbed wire, was broken um, pop bottles. Keep people Cemented from, in the top. Yeah, to keep people from climbing over the fence. 
I'm Th thinking. That was their security. Man, yeah. Yeah. what did we it, get it was ourselves not a very... into? You know? <laughs> but um, God protected us. Yeah, for sure. And then we drove the next well, morning. A little more okay. about that. Uh, so, so our mission there, our first night or first day, I believe there was a church being built, and uh, so we, uh, I think the women were uh, or the, were asked to uh, prepare uh, like a gate outside the church or something, and you were scraping paint. And but the the thing you mentioned this morning, as we were talking about, was the t tools, very yeah. primitive type tools, and I'm. To, to do this job, and I'm thinking of the, our job uh, as guys, we were excavating some of the dirt out front of the church area, I think, along a street or a sidewalk, and, and we were digging with, like, just very primitive, primitive stuff. Uh, well, obviously, we didn't have tools with us on the airplane, so you used what you had, but I'm talking, like, just a raw um, shaft or something to dig and rebar and, and stuff like that. But then you, uh, uh, I guess the thing that uh, as the guys were digging, we were digging out stones so that they could lay in a, a sidewalk better or something. But the degree of poverty there, there's one of the boys, neighborhood boys, I don't know if he was connected with the church or not, but just across the street were these tenement type homes and, and that had dirt floors and this boy came over and he asked if he could get the stones that we were digging out so that he could take them into his home and use them for the flooring in their house, wasn't it, I think? Is that, I guess, what I recalled? And to to think about, I mean, just the degree of poverty was just unbelievable. Um, and yep. there were, on top of some of their shacks, you would see... Um, a, a satellite dish or yeah. something, you know? So you just really <laughs> wondered, you know? I mean... Uh, open air uh, laundry hanging on clotheslines, and then there'd be the, yeah, the satellite dish. But you know, to see that church being built in that <laughs> that poverty area, those people, um, you know, spreading God's word in mm -hmm. some of the worst areas of that yeah. city, that was really. So neat. then go on to the. And then, yeah. so the next day, or no, later that day, we drove to the mountains, through the mountains, on these wild, crazy, narrow roads, and to the city of Cuenca and um, wondered if we were going to get there safely. That was where Justos and Tricia were yeah. based was Cuenca. Yeah. And there we stayed, and it was a nice mission facility, and Tricia and Justo lived right there. And the job mm -hmm. there for the men was to work on the church. The, the, the ch there was an existing modern church building there, uh, very similar to the churches here, uh, but they were adding an addition for, I believe, education and, you know, like room, Sunday school rooms with a, uh, I know it was a bathroom facility because I wanted to talk just a little bit about the, the plumbing later on, but it was, uh, but for, so, so my memory there, uh, again, of uh, God's people working with what they have. And I remember them specifically talking about, well, we're going to be pouring some cement for this project. And we had been digging the footings. Uh, one of our jobs was to dig footings for the, or dig out the ground for the footings. And they said, well, the cement is coming later today or something. And I thought, well, where's the cement truck? And so anyway, uh, <clears throat> no cement truck, but a taxi pulls up. And the trunk opens up, and here is a couple bags of cement that a church member had donated 
was my understanding, for this project. And, uh, and there was a pile, the, and I think it, either the truck came with the gravel or was that already there? I don't remember the stones or sand. But anyway, here's the lawn right in front of, you know, maybe a 20-foot round area. And they said, well, there's where we're doing the cement. And right on the grass, they poured the sand, poured the stones, poured the cement, the bag of cement, and you sat there and you shoveled it with water and mixed it on top of the ground, just on the grass. And then no wheelbarrows, you carried it in five-gallon pails over to where we were doing the floor. But that's what they, they were making do with what they had. And of course, none of us could speak Spanish except for Justo, and he wasn't always there, and they're watching each other, trying to figure out, you yeah. know, oh, yeah. so this is what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, how and how how did it affect coming coming home? I mean, just so grateful for our blessings that we have, so grateful that um, when we want to you know expand uh, a church here or do upgrades to our church, that God has blessed us so richly. We just have no clue what some people are dealing with. Yeah. Okay. And it was really fun. We got to worship with them in their church on Sunday. And I remember a, a hymn being sung that was familiar to us. You know. uh, a familiar tune. The words were not familiar. <laughs> <laughs> but we were worshiping with people of a different language, and God, I believe, was accepting that worship from all of us, whether we knew what the words were or not. We were singing it in our hearts. And, uh, yeah. and I do remember um, Kirsten's you know, struggles, and and, um, and that was a blessing, just being able to be there and, and to pray and to support and encourage. And, um. well, one other memory, um, uh, thinking of you, Monica, and the grocery store and the struggles that I'm sure the grocery stores have here, but walking by their grocery stores, open-air meat markets, meat hanging out on... Not, I mean, it was probably maybe grilled yesterday or three days ago. I don't know, but uh, there it was, hanging on an open rack for sale, including the flies. You know, you got it. And uh, and then ultra modern um, uh, Gringle Land, like you could see these modern apartment buildings or condos or whatever that they called Gringle Land, where retired Americans or Americans that wintered there. And here we were, the church on this side of a busy street, and on the other side was the river, and there's people washing their laundry on the rocks in the river. Uh, we have so much to be grateful for. So that's what I took my takeaway. Yeah, and it, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't think I could go on a mission trip, but I think we were so blessed on that mission trip. We and, were the ones blessed and, yeah. way more than... And, and I would encourage any of you to, to go and do that if there's an opportunity. Ketua. Well, first of all, it's, we went, it's been over 20 years since we went, and we went in 2001, 2002, and 2003 to all to the same place. Um, we flew from Green Bay, Wisconsin to Lima, Peru, spent the night in Lima, and then we would take a bus from Lima, which is at zero sea level, up over the mountains to 16,000 feet in the Andes Mountains, and then went to Huancayo. 
We stayed overnight in Juan Cayo. Juan Cayo was a very not good place. We were told not to take anything out of our hotel room, to have nothing in your pockets. It was a very scary place. And then we boarded a train. Now during this time when we went, Shining Path was very active in Peru. They would get on trains and kill people. The one year we went, there was on um, the train that we took from Juan Cayo to Juan Cavalica, there were armed guard armed gunmen on the train with us. And when we got to Juan Cayo, we would stay there. And then from Juan Cayo to Lircay, which is where we did our main work, um, we took another bus. And from Juan Cayo to Lircay, it was 40 minutes. But it took us four hours. Now, you have to remember when you're at, like, in Ecuador probably, steep mountains in the Andes, straight down, no guardrails. You go around sharp corners, they honk the horn, beep, beep, and away they go. And you don't know what's around the other corner. If you meet somebody, and I remember one year there was a big bus coming and we were on the inside, thank goodness, and the bus was tipped and it was straight down. Um, yeah, there was a lot to our trip each year that we went. Um, how it affected me, I had to learn to trust and have faith in God to provide. Uh, Quinlan and Nathaniel went with us all three years. At that time, Quinlan was 11 and Nathaniel was 14. So Quinlan was very blonde, and they were fascinated with his blonde, white blonde hair. So part of the faith was having to raise over $20,000 for all four of us to go. We did not pay for any of it ourselves. We had wonderful the senders. Our church family was very good to help send all three years the teams that we took. And um, the people that we wrote letters to were very um, generous in their donations. And as far as trusting God for supplies, for sending us, for provisions, for keeping us safe in the mountains and on the train, um, the first year of the train, it was a single car, and the trains would rock back and forth like this. I was sick the first year on the train, and um, it was not a good thing. But um, And then we were to had to take um, altitude medicine. Some people didn't take it and was very sick, so, you know, they had to trust God, too. But like um, the others have talked about the people, how poor they are, um, one of the gals that we knew, we supported her for a while and then lost track of her. She took me into her home in Peru, which is a high honor because they don't usually have people in. They probably had two changes of clothes where how many when you look in your closet and you think, I have not a thing to wear. <laughs> and they have two changes of clothes that last them forever, a good, an everyday clothes and good clothes. But they had a very little place, probably half the size of our church is where they live, where Gladys and her husband and son and three daughters live. The husband and wife shared one bed, and all the kids slept in bunk beds right in the same room. Um, so, yeah, it's, they're very poor. But, you know, we learned to trust. You learned to get along. Lindy did medical clinic. And I had, was working in a newborn nursery, intens, um, intensive care nursery. And so one time, Dr. Eatwell had to admit somebody to the local hospital, and then we had to start an IV. Well, I'm the only nurse along. It had been years since I started an IV. People prayed. God provided, and I got the IV started. And because we were, the American Kano doctor admitted him, I had to sit with the patient in the hospital. No heat. 
The family had to bring blankets and everything in for the patient. There, it was not the healthcare facilities that we have this day and age. Um, and it was very cold in there. I had to do all the care, you know, and it was very interesting. Make you grateful for what you have. What that means is hello in Quechua. And so I could talk a long time about the trips we have, but as I sit and think about it, it's, you know, it's nice to go last because you can just say we agree with what everybody else said. <laughs> but I think the one thing with, as far as missions is we take our Bibles for granted. Um, we were able to get a Quechua Bible, and I believe it's the whole... Old New Testament, and so there are a lot of there are a lot of places in the world that still don't have Bibles, and you know the World Mission Prayer League works with that. There's a lot of other organizations that I don't know, but Joe does about that. So I think when you look at missions, we think about people going, but there's also a lot that the missionaries need and is Bibles. You know, we talk about how poor they are, and you know we brought stuff, but they have to have Bibles or it's for nothing. Speaking of taking stuff, when we would travel, we had one bag for two weeks. So how much, you know, like most people here in the United States, we usually take a shower every day, put on clean clothes every day. So we learned to live with wearing the same clothes for a week at a time or so. But we would take, we had two bags. One was for our own personal belongings. The other one we took vacation Bible school things and clothes for the people. Um, the one year that we went, and because we helped build the church too, the men did help do that, scrape, we'd scrape rocks with sticks so they could put the rocks back into the wall of the church to put cement around them so that the dirt was off so that cement would stick to the rocks. So they recycled their rocks um, there. But as we went along, the one year we went, and it's like, oh, there's all of our luggage there. We had given clothes and stuff, but they had never used it. And the group that we went with, um, Santos was the main pastor at a, a church in Lima, Peru. And his brother Moises was like the local missionary, and the groups from the United States would go, and with Moises would take us there and to help. So, and one of the things Santos said, you know, was like, well, how do we help? And he said, if you overhelp people, they become dependent on you and don't do for yourself. So you, we, there was a point that we had to say, okay, you need to do it yourself. You can't depend on the people from the United States all the time. So it was, you know, a lot of give and take everywhere we went. It was very worth it. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you all for being willing to share. Um, yeah. No, come on up. Like Julie and Mark mentioned, uh, we did dig with those trenches and everything and, and uh, put all those wires together. Remember, they're going to put the cement to fortify the walls and everything. Um, and then we also went out to a bean field and helped uh, pick the weeds out of a bean field. Yeah, I mean, uh, and then just some other things I just wanted to mention. Uh, I got to teach uh, five homeschool, I think it was five or six homeschool students uh, science lessons, which was really, really fun. Uh, of course, I had to have the interpreter right beside me explain every detail of, of the experiments. And 
Uh, one was a Bible base. I mean, uh, I had a little object, les object lesson about uh, you can't see the outside of a person. You don't know what's in their heart. And I had a <clears throat> an egg, two eggs. One was hard-boiled and one wasn't. And you spin it, and they look identical on the outside. But when you spin them, the one that's hard-boiled will keep spinning. The other one will stop because of the uh, liquid inside, you know, slows it down. So uh, anyway, uh, I also got to uh, uh, make paper rockets, and we shot across the room. Uh, and then the, the uh, different colors of liquid. We'd had, uh, we call them liquid sandwiches. We had about four colors of liquids that would not mix with each other. We did that experiment. And then I also got to t uh, talk about Minnesota in a public school, which is right next to this church. Um, and uh, that was very interesting because they, they had no globe in the room or map. So I drew a quick map of Minnesota, and I showed where New York was, because they all wanted to know where New York was in, in USA. And a lot of the people there also had relatives. Some had relatives right in Minneapolis. Some had relatives right in New York City. I, I didn't know how many thousand people. There were several thousand uh, Ecuadorians actually live in Minneapolis, which I never knew that before. But uh, another thing I just want to mention, it's kind of gross, but <laughs> uh, in the... When we were in uh, Guayaquil, or no, uh, yeah, Guayaquil, um, it was more uh, evident. But anyway, when you go to the bathroom, you can't use, I mean, you can use tissue paper, but you cannot put it down the toilet. You have to throw it in a wastebasket. Yeah, and that was because uh, the sewer system did not work well. Uh, and it's interesting because it took me until then to realize why when I was teaching in our public school, a lot of times in the bathroom, some of the Hispanic students would throw that their tissue paper in a, in a wastebasket or, or on the floor. And I didn't realize that that was probably from the culture they were from. They didn't figure that they, they, you know, they could do, uh, use the, uh, flushing the toilets that way with the paper in it. Um, we also visited a Bible school. That was so much fun. And uh, I think, did you speak at the Bible school? I know, and then uh, Mark, you spoke once too at a, uh, that was at, was that the Bible school also? I'm trying to think because I know you spoke. It's one of the things, and we did like we say we did worship together. And I thought that was so neat to hear the songs in uh, other languages. Uh, um, let's see. I was just jotting some of these things down because I had originally going to talk about that, and then I thought, well, we, we were supposed to more, more or less tell about our uh, our change in our attitude when we got back or something. So anyway, <laughs> I'm sure this was better than my first talk. <laughs> It was all good. <clears throat> so it's, it's easy for us to see the effect that it has on the goers because you, you guys' lives are changed. You know, aspects, at least aspects of our lives are changed. And then when we think about the receivers, it's like, well, they, I'm not going to spend as much time talking about that because there's, it depends on the situation. And different situations have different effects. And, and there's, I'm just not going to go into that because there's just too much to talk about. Because I would guess that the people who received us digging footings, or it was probably a little bit different than the lady admitted by an Americano doctor. And so, but there is one thing that we often don't think about. 
And that's the effect that it continues to have on the congregation that does the sending, the congregation or the congregations. Because I even think about the stuff going on with World Vision and the effect that that, you know, I'm not doing it. <laughs> One, I don't like running. Um, two, I can't keep up with Kirsten walking. But <laughs> it has an effect on us. And as, as Christians, is it more blessed to give or to receive? Because what does Jesus say? You know, Paul quotes him in Romans. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So as we think about our role, it's like, well, I'm not called to be a missionary. I don't need to be thinking about missions. No, that's not a reality at all. Because how many of you have received freely? We Think about all that we have. It's like, why wouldn't we give even of our hearts to those who haven't received. We think about those who don't have Bibles. We think about those who don't have, they don't have a witness in their culture and their language. Or, you know, we think about Husto and Trisha going back. Why did they go back? Well, they went back in order to teach them how to do homeschooling, in order to teach them how to do home, uh, home groups, house groups, small groups, cell groups. That was their goal. They went and they did that. They looked around after a few years and said, all right, things are running well. We're going to move back to Minnesota. And who's still in Trisha are living in Minnesota now. And so, what do we have that we can give? Does that mean that I'm called to go forever? No. You know, think about Hudson Taylor starting the China Inland Mission. They were, he was called to go forever. But you know what? He didn't just go to China and stay there. Hudson Taylor was one of the first to, well, he wasn't one of the first, but he definitely emphasized within the China Inland Mission, we need to be sending back. We need to be reporting back because this is just as important for the senders to be hearing about this stuff as it is for us to be doing it. And so as we go, we have an obligation to give testimony. And as we stay, we have a, an opportunity to participate in that mission, to be co-missionaries with any missionary that's there because we get to send. We get to participate in that manner, whether that be People, I was about to say frolicking, but I'm not going to be insulting, um, running or walking a marathon, <laughs> or whether that be someone going off to India or working in Saudi Arabia, we have the privilege then to send and to pray and to co-mission with them. And then that changes those who are there. Because, well, so I'm going to tell a story from Hudson Taylor. I don't remember which book I got it out of. Um, I read a number of books on Hudson Taylor. And he had a missionary in the China Inland Mission. So this was after he was established. And this missionary, God was just blessing his mission. There were people coming to know the Lord. It was growing. There were pastors being raised up. They were being sent out. And so Hudson Taylor said, what are you doing different? And the guy said, the missionary, the American missionary said, I don't know. I don't know. And so when Hudson Taylor went back to England, he started asking around, who are you, you know, who, where do you get support from? And so this missionary told him, we get support from these churches. So Hudson Taylor, when he went to those churches, he started asking around, so how are you guys interacting with this missionary? There was one man in England who was in contact with this missionary. And he said, send me the names of all of the people that you're interacting with. And so the missionary in China would just send him the names. He didn't know what the guy was doing with him. 
But that guy was taking those names and he was praying for these people daily by name. And through those prayers, God was blessing this mission because people were becoming saved. Leaders were being raised up. Pastors were being trained. And more missionaries were being sent out. So who is most important in all of this? It was, this, yeah. You know, and there, so it was the supporters there. Was this guy any different? No, he was just sending back names. And then people were praying. And things were changing. And so, do we then, as we pray, as we support, as we read, as we encourage the missionary, do we have a place for them? How can we affect them? Because it's not just the natives, it's not just those who are speaking Quechua, it's not just those who are speaking Spanish and Cuenca, but it's also Justa and Trisha, it's also Jorge and I'm forgetting the names of the other people that you guys interacted with. Moises and Santos, it's also them. And so as we think about missions, we can't just think about missions in terms of those who go, but we need to think about missions in terms of the whole body. Because we all play a role in that whole body of missions. We all have a place in that. It's like, well, God hasn't called me to go. Great. Because we need senders too. We don't just need missionaries. If everybody was a missionary and left America, America would be bereft of missions. But you know, by them going, they actually enrich us too. By Mark and Julie, by... Lindy and Vicky by Rod going, they have enriched us. So that these can come back, we can learn, we can grow ourselves. Does this make sense? This is the body doing missions. So I've been in talks with some people at the World Mission Prayer League. Hopefully on the 30th we'll have someone come and speak about co-missioning. I hope uh, they're able to make that happen. Uh, and then in November, we're having someone come who's the administrative director of the World Mission Prayer League. And what does missions look like? As So he is a Peruvian. He's from Peru. And God called him to help with the home office in Minneapolis, he and his wife. And so they're going to talk about that. How does, this, how does this work? How does God call and work through even missions in the States? And so... We're going to keep talking about this throughout the month of October and even into November, seeing where does God have opportunities? Where does God want us? How do we, how do we participate? Because it's not just giving financially. It's bigger. It's by praying. It's by speaking. It's by interacting with those who are going, those who need to go, those who are thinking about going. It's really through being a body with them. Any questions? Does this make sense? This is how we should think about missions. When we just think about those who go and then the churches are here, we've missed it. When we think about those who go and then we need to support them financially because all they need is money, we've missed it. Because missionaries need Jesus too. They need people praying for them, supporting them. I'm not, I'm gonna, I've got other stories coming to mind, but I'm going to stop. So, Kirsten's like, yeah, it's time to stop, Joe. <laughs> so let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for missions, and we thank you that we get to be the body. We thank you for those who are goers. We thank you for those who have the ability and the opportunity then to receive your gospel through the goers. We thank you for the senders. 
and our call to faithfulness to those who go. Lord, that we would send, knowing that that is our calling. And that we pray for those who are mentors, who guide, who are there, who are long-term, or even who have gone before. Lord, that you would continue to build them up and to use them and to be glorified through them too. Father, so we thank you for this body that we get to participate in our role. I pray that we wouldn't be jealous or contemptuous for others, but rather that we would rejoice, knowing that here is where you've put us. We pray for those who you're calling into other situations in other realms. Lord, we praise you for making this body so unique. In Jesus' name, amen. So Beth wants to share a testimony about the song. I have a problem. When I was like um, fourth or fifth grade, we had Wednesday night Bible class at my church. And my teacher, her name was Agonitha, and she had been a missionary to the Hopi Indians in Arizona. And um, she taught us this song. She had a flip chart, but she had taught those Hopi Indian children this song. And so whenever I hear this, I think about, about that and how there's Hopi Indians that know this song and are trusting and obeying in Jesus. <laughs> 